Hey everybody, welcome back to A Higher Future. I am UBC Mignetti as always, and I'm joined by Nicole Gravagna. Hello. Hi UB, who do we have with us today? So I, I'm excited, I think we're excited. Um, we've got Stephen M. R. Covey. So a lot of you probably recognize the name, Stephen Covey. Uh, so Stephen M. R. Covey is uh, a best-selling author, probably heard and read The Speed of Trust. Um, translated into 22 languages, sold over 2 million copies worldwide. Um, the, the most important thing is he's, he's not only this thought leader, right, that we all know, an inspiring speaker and things like that, but he's also the practitioner, right? So, Stephen, you, you go out and you, you help companies and organizations do this work, build that trust. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, first of all, we're really excited to have you. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, UB, Nicole. It's wonderful to be with you. Excited to be part of uh, this, this podcast. It's exciting. Thank you. Yeah, we're, like I said, we're really excited. I think that there's a lot uh, we want to cover um, as it relates to your work and just, you know, who you are. So maybe let's start there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one thing that, that caught my eye was, you, you know, your first job. So you were seven years old, right, when you started um, the, the green and clean, right? The lawn care. And I was telling Nicole, I'm like, man, he green before green was even a thing. Is that, is that what the green meant? Or was it like just green lawn, you know, <laughs> green grass? Yeah. Well, that, that's actually uh, um, a retrospective thing. As I look back, uh, it's, it's, it's coming from my father's uh, work, the seven yeah. habits of highly effective people, right. where he tells the story of of, uh, how, of, my, of him training his son to take care of the lawn, the yard. And he mm -hmm. called it green and clean. And he, it was that process where he trained me for a couple of weeks. He said, all I care about is two things, that the lawn is, is green and the lawn is clean. And he trained me how to do it. And then the job was mine. And uh, he turned it over to me. It was, a, it was an extension of trust. It was empowerment. It was delegation, whatever we might want to call it. And, um, and I had to learn as a seven-year-old to take responsibility and to rise to the occasion. And I faltered at first, but I came through in the end. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then it became one of his uh, favorite stories to tell when, when he would present in seminars and, and workshops. He'd tell the green and clean story. And, uh, and so that's, you know, from age seven, I started doing, I took, I took care of our yard. And then, and then other people's yards too, a little bit from time to time. So uh, that's kind of a, a play on the green and clean story. And uh, which is a, it's a great, great story of, of really of delegation, but also of trust, of an extension of trust and seeing what trust does to people when they feel trusted and how it inspires them, how it brings the very best out in them. They rise to the occasion, they perform better. And I saw that firsthand, experienced it firsthand as a seven-year-old boy. Well, and I think that's what's really fascinating is, you know, because you, there was a, um, a video you did talking about this story where you talked about some of the concepts as a seven-year-old that you didn't understand. But the one thing you did understand was trust. And, and, and I think that's really important because trust can be, I think, a simple thing to understand, even, you know, for, for young children. Uh, I think it's it, it, it's really powerful. What what were what were some of the other influences as you kind of as you grew up and you you came into your own? 
what influenced you to get to this point about where the speed of trust and trust is so important? Yeah, well, clearly um, in my home, which is the influence you're referring to with my father, my mother and family. So I, I, I was extended trust there and I responded to it. I also saw it really in my first real job as I left uh, the university, went to work at Trammell Crow Company, real estate development. Mm -hmm. And there was a partner there, of, they ran an office that, that uh, took me on, gave me an opportunity when no one else seemed to be interested in me. I I'd interviewed in all these different offices and uh, no one wanted me, but this partner came through and said, you know what? I like you, Stephen. I want you on my team. I believe in you. He actually believed in me more than I believed in myself. And he, and he had more confidence in me, trusted me. And, and um, when someone believes in you like that, uh, you, you don't want to let them down. And you, you, you rise to the occasion, you work harder, and you want to prove the, tr the trust justified. And so John Walsh was a great influence in my life. And then as I worked with my father and his organization, um, I, I saw a lot of other uh, thought leaders and, and practitioners from uh, Tom Peters and Ken Blanchard to Rosabeth Moss Cantor and others where I started to get into the mindset of leadership and leadership development and, and really unleashing human potential and seeing the greatness inside of people unleashing it. I, I'd experienced it firsthand uh, from my father, from John Walsh, from others. And then I began to uh, see the power of leadership in people's lives as I got involved in leadership development and how really of all the um, of all the arts, how leadership is the highest art because it's the enabling art. It makes everything else better. And and um, so I became enamored with that and and then felt like my distinctive kind of calling or uniqueness to the contribution I could make to leadership was all around trust as, as really the foundation of the kind of leadership that is needed today. So it's been a long journey in this process, but very much influenced by my involvement in this field uh, through the, you know over decades and, and seeing the different approaches, but seeing a commonality to it of how leadership is a force multiplier and the enabling art for every other activity that we're engaged in. One of the things that just stood out to me from what you said is that uh, not everyone believed in you, but someone did. And that was really powerful for you to be able to move forward. And it brought up something I oversaw and overheard, I think at the grocery store, if you've ever, you know, you, you get up to the checkout counter and you forget that one thing you came for and you're like, oh no, I got to go back. And I watched a mother and her daughter and she, there's, oh no, we have to get the one thing and they're checking out and there's a line and she sends her kid back into the store. The kid's like, I don't know, probably about seven or eight. And she, she sh shouts after her, I believe in you. And I thought, <laughs> oh my God, what a wonderful thing to shout at someone <laughs> publicly. <laughs> now I do this on a regular basis, especially when I'm working with someone and, and I've charged them with something difficult to do. I, I also, I believe in you. And, and I, is that what trust is? Is it, I believe in you or is this, is there something more? That's, that's the essence of it. It is, it's, it's, um, it's not just saying it, but it's truly believing it. Cause if you could say the words and not mean it. Yeah. And, but when you mean it, what you say, which we should, if we say it, that is, it is powerful. It is seeing 
the potential, seeing the greatness. It's communicating the potential and the greatness, which is saying the words. I believe so. I not only see it, I believe it, and I I communicate what I see, which is I believe in you, and then developing it, giving them opportunities so they can develop their potential. That was the green and clean story. My dad gave me the opportunity to learn how to take care of something and then to really um, unleash the greatness. So I call it see, communicate, develop, unleash. And, and uh, when, you, when you do that um, and you see the greatness, you communicate the greatness, you develop it, the greatness and you unleash the greatness or the potential you might say as well. And, and um, that is a process of really trusting people. And I think it's beautifully encapsulated in those four words. I believe in you. And, and well, uh, yeah. it's powerful. Well, and even more like, so you, you have a book coming out next March called Trust and Inspire. So I, I almost even think you can take those four and it, it like encapsulated in that, like trust and trust underneath trust is building that trust and communicating it. And then inspire is like, okay, let's develop and unleash your potential. And it, it's amazing because that's now to me, Nicole, and, and you know, I'm thinking, how do we get our, our clients to do that with their candidates, right? Their new employees. Totally. How do we translate well, that? Well, let's break that down. So tell us what we can expect in the new book. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm making the case in this new book of that in a nutshell, that the world has changed, but our style of leadership has not. We're still mm -hmm. too often leading in the old style that might've worked in the industrial age but now we're in the digital age, in a, in a disruptive age, whatever we might call it, the fourth industrial revolution. The world has changed dramatically, and yet we're still kind of leading in the old way. We've just become better at it, more sophisticated, more advanced. We might call it more enlightened. I call it a command and control. And now we're in enlightened command and control, but we're still too much trying to um, you know, control people and situations and the like. And, and, uh, but that doesn't work in a new world of work, as you know, as you know, you're talking about on this podcast of how everything's changing, shifting around us, work, uh, or the nature of the world itself has changed with disruptive technologies, where the nature of work has changed, where it's far more collaborative and service-oriented and interdependent. Um, you know, it's the knowledge worker economy, where the nature of the work uh, place has changed. And now it's you know work from home, work from anywhere, or a hybrid work, um, as well as on site. You know these blended combinations that we're still trying to figure out, but it, clearly the workplace has changed, and then the workforce has changed because we have so much diversity, and you know five as many as five generations at work, and and all this diversity, which is a great opportunity. And then finally, the nature of choice has changed. We've gone from multiple choice to infinite choice. There's just so many options. So all these, all these forces of change are upon us. And, and, um, and yet, too often, we're still leading in the old model of, uh, of you know, enlightened command and control. It's become more sophisticated. But we need a new way of leading. And I'm calling that new way of leading trust and inspire. And, and um, it, it really is kind of a paradigm first of how you see people and how you see leadership. 
and you and you get the paradigm that people are whole people. So we're trying to inspire them, not just motivate them, you know, with carrot and stick, but inspire them with purpose and meaning and contribution, and as well as caring and belonging. And that people have uh, greatness inside them. So my job as a leader is to unleash their potential, not control them. You know, that's how I see people. And then how I see leadership is I see leadership as stewardship. And, and um, that, that, you know, I have a stewardship and my role is as a, a gardener trying to create the right conditions for the seed to flourish. But the power's in the seed, you know, the power's in the people. I'm trying to create the conditions for that. So this is what it's all about. And I'm saying that there's three primary stewardships for the kind of leadership that's needed, this trust and inspire leadership. And it's very simple. You model, you trust, and you inspire. Modeling, trusting, and inspiring. You know, modeling is who you are. Trusting is how you lead. Inspiring is connecting to why, to why it matters, to meaning, to purpose, to contribution. And so that's the idea is that we need to lead in a new way in this new world. And, and, um, and I'm just labeling it um, that it's trust and inspire. And we moved from command and control to trust and inspire. And, and we need to kind of make that leap to be relevant to, to, you know, to build the kind of culture that's going to win the war for talents and to attract and retain and engage and inspire the best people, as well as to be able to collaborate and innovate so that we can stay relevant in a disruptive world. And, and, uh, and you can't command and control your way to collaboration and innovation or to build a great, you know, or to create a great, great culture. No, you got to trust and inspire your way to that. That's the idea. What a contrast to a documentary I was watching. I think it's on Netflix. It's called Nine to Five. And it's highlighting this idea of the clerical worker and, and then the revolution that came from people saying, you know, this is a, a misuse and abuse of my talents as a human. And so to, to come in here today and have this conversation with you with this envision of not where almost every relationship, it sounds like between the employer and the employee becomes a mentorship, but model, trust, engage with them to inspire them. And, and how, how very contrasting to that, you know, your life is typing and don't think, just do what I say. Um, we've come a long way and that's all I can say to that. And it's, it's a beautiful thing for sure. It, it is a beautiful thing. We have come a long way and clearly all of these forces have changed, have changed everything. We just got to make sure that the way we lead has caught up to it, to the, to the changes and, and, um, and that we don't just put, you know, a more sophisticated version of the old paradigm out there. True. We need a new paradigm, a new so way then, of leading. So then how do you, you, you work in lots of different industries, you work with lots of different generations and different kinds of people. Um, do you have have you noticed, are there different ways for employers to tell their employees, I believe in you based on industry, based on generation, or is it pretty much all the same? Like, what are you seeing? There's a lot of different ways that you can express it and manifest it. Because again, it's not just hearing the words. The words are important. I believe in you in some way, shape or form, but it also needs to be backed up with the, you know, the policies, the procedures, the approaches and the like. So here's a great opportunity right now for um, organizations, really in any sector, uh, with so much going on with work from home or hybrid, you know, work combination, 
Um, for some people, I've talked to many uh, uh, people in, inside of organizations, they feel like they're working from home, but they're still not trusted. And, and that they're now just being micromanaged from a distance because maybe people haven't had a choice about it. Whereas there's others where they feel like the, the organization has really expressed and shown that we trust you as you're doing virtual work or remote work or hybrid work or a combination or on-site work for that matter, that, that they feel trusted and, and that they say, look, we trust you. So how, you know, where you do it, how you do it, it's up to you. What we care about are the outcomes and the results. And there's some guidelines to make sure we follow ethical practices and the like, but, but we really trust you. And, and we demonstrate that trust by, by um, giving you the responsibility and, and setting up the agreement and where you become accountable yourself against the agreement, not me hovering over and micromanaging it. And so um, that's the big thing is that you can have approaches to your workforce that demonstrate we trust you, we believe in you. And, and uh, because it's one thing if I say I believe in you, but then all the policies and procedures say, no, I don't. I have to get approval, you know, to get a pencil. <laughs> and and uh, there's just zero empowerment and, and the like. And so that's a big differentiator. I'll never forget working with one client where we were doing speed of trust work with the top executives. And this is a big company, 400,000 people. And oh. so we were working with the top 500 officers and they really were responding to uh, the principles in the speed of trust. And, and, um, and then as we took it down to the next level, there was a lot of pushback saying, this sounds good. And, and clearly we see that our leaders are trustworthy, but you know what? They're not trusting. They don't no. extend trust. And, 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 and this was the next level down. And they were saying, you know, one person said, look, I run a billion dollar organization. And yet I have to get approvals to do little things. <laughs> and, and, you know, because we had all these policies that expressed distrust. And, and so the, the company was saying the right things, but it wasn't manifest in their policies and procedures. They screamed distrust. So we actually took this back to the senior team and to the credit of the CEO, um, he said, you know what? They're right. We can't say we trust you, but then have these current policies and practices in place. And they went through and they changed uh, several of them over the next few weeks. And then they came out with a big, in, with big fanfare. And they said, um, you know, team, we've been working on the speed of trust. We're trying to become more credible, more trustworthy, but we also are trying to become more trusting. And we realize in this process, we say that we trust you, but we don't manifest it in our practices. So effective immediately, here are the following five changes. And they announced these huge changes of, of empowering, you know, and moving decision-making way down, approval, way, approvals way down. And so that people felt empowered that, and it was all expressed around, we trust you. And you could say it, we believe in you, but I, you know, I also love the words, I trust you. I believe in you. I trust you. And we trust you 
And it would, when, when people saw these policies and these practices changing all around, yes, they do trust me, that communicated volumes. And they really were able to build a lot more trust. And so it does get manifest in how you approach things and, and your practices, your policies, your procedures. And I recognize there might be compliance issues, other issues where you have that going on, but you always are communicating the ways in which you do trust your people where you have choices and options. And when people experience that, they tend to reciprocate and return the trust back to you. Where do you think that that trust can, can start to be built? So in kind of a leading question, because the work that we do is really focused on the interview and hiring process, right? It's sort of that first interaction that you have with potential employees. And we talk about, uh, you know, really helping interviewers minimize their own bias. But, but we never talk about how should you start building trust right away, even with like every candidate, even if you don't hire them. Do you, what do you think about that? Where do you think trust should start to be built? Because then to me, it seems like it might resolve that this issue you're talking about. Yes, I think this, that the, the work that you do, you be in Nicole on this front end, on this hiring process is critical, is really is the starting place to build a relationship of trust. And you're trying to demonstrate that as an organization, you're trying to build a high trust culture so that you can be agile and entrepreneurial, so you can better collaborate and innovate to stay relevant in the changing world. But also you're trying to build a high trust culture so that people wanna be part of it, so that they become engaged and they wanna be inspired and, they, and, and, and this matters to you. And I do think it starts in the interviewing process. And you, know, and you demonstrate your credibility as an organization at the outset with just who you are and that you have character, you have competence as an organization, but then you model it as an interviewer, you model it in, in how you interact, the credibility. Mm -hmm. But I think there's an opportunity in the interviewing process to also not only model the trustworthiness, but to model being trusting. Mm -hmm. See, to build trust, you don't only have to be trustworthy, you have to be trusting. And too often we only focus on the first half the second half is equally vital. And I think you have a chance in the interviewing process to demonstrate that you trust your, your applicant and your candidate and seeing how they respond to the trust being given and, and, and how they, you know, because most people are inspired by that and they reciprocate it back. And I think you can demonstrate um, right from the beginning, the kind of culture you're trying to build by modeling that with the candidate in the process. The very, the very process. And, and um, um, if they feel trusted as a candidate, even if they're, they're not selected, but they feel like you model trustworthiness and you extended trust, oh, this is the kind of culture we're trying to build. And we're trying to see, we're looking for candidates that also can, that want to be part of that kind of culture. They want to operate with trust. They want to be trusted versus being told what to do. They want to be empowered. They want to have purpose. They want to be inspired. Why not model it as best you can up front? Now, how you would do that in your organization, you'd have to kind of think through what's the appropriate ways to demonstrate this. But the more you can model not only trustworthiness, but being trusting of the candidates in this process, in the hiring process, 
then I think that you give them a flavor of the kind of candidate you're looking for and the kind of culture you're trying to build and, you, and see how they respond to it. I, I ended up writing down, people want to um, be in a trust, high trust environment and are attracted to a high trust environment. And I, it's, it sounds really simple to say, but I think it's overlooked. I think that simple concept is highly overlooked. And, and you're right, this, this concept of um, opening the channel of trust between two people, not just being worthy of it or giving it, but making that channel open between the two people. There's a vulnerability there that is, I think, very a, a good reminder for companies that are looking to uh, change their recruiting brand, you know, so they can attract employees. And that that trust piece is huge. It 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 is huge, Nicole, and it is tremendously underestimated. And we kind of just give lip service to it. Yeah, we want trust, but there's strong, hard data on this that shows what a high trust culture does for people, how they're attracted to it, they're drawn to it, and how they want to stay and be part of it. So I'll give you an example. Everywhere, um, employers, organizations are saying, you know, how do we retain our, retain our millennials? It's even like millennials are moving around and, 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 and leaving. Well, Here's the interesting data from the Great Place to Work Institute. Um, they, they found in a study that in a high trust culture, the, um, high trust organizations, high trust culture organizations have a 22 times wow. greater probability of retaining the millennials than they do in a low trust culture. 22 times. And then it, 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 it's still like 17, 18 times for other generations. And so the point is this, I would say this about millennials, and then I'll broaden it to every generation. Millennials don't want to be managed. They want to be led. They want to be mm -hmm. trusted. They want to be inspired. And you know what? Not just millennials. Every generation does. We're all drawn to that. And when we are trusted, we tend to stay. When we're not, we want to go find a place where we are. So if that's the kind of culture we want to build, then why not try to attract candidates that want to become, that want to be in that type of culture? Why not upfront model that as best we can in appropriate ways with, uh, in the hiring process? So we're hiring both for character and competence, not just for competence, but you know, for character and competence. So we're hiring for people that want to be part of collaborating and not just competing. And that we're hiring also around uh, the idea of purpose and meaning and contribution so we can tap into inspiration and, and this type of thing, as well as having the technical competence and the like that's also critical. So it's not either or, it's really and, but the power of a high trust culture is remarkable. And I think we underestimate it by a factor of at least 10 and maybe a hundred. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, for, for our approach, because we're um, we're focused on helping the interviewer be better. You know, there's so much focus on the candidates. There's not a lot of focus on the interviewer. And Nicole, you talk about, you know, the, the, the interviewers are really ambassadors of the brand of this organization, right? And so if we can help interviewers become that ambassador and become that model of trust, 
you know, we can still focus in on those, those qualifications that we know we need for a job. We can still minimize our bias related to people's names or skin color or gender or whatever, but we can still find that sort of right fit, you know, of somebody whose mindset and whose, whose character aligns with that and who wants that just by how the interviewer is presenting themselves in that process. Like it's so powerful. It's very multidimensional too. Uh, yeah, I love that. I love that. I think trust is one thing we haven't thought about, Nicole, right? I mean, would you agree? I'm so glad we we heard it from the person who's built his career. <laughs> That's right. You're like, okay, now I can get behind this. I, I, I got it for sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, you being Nicole, I, I think you're right. So the work you're doing is so vital up front to help the interviewer become mindful and aware of bias and everything else in this hiring process. And I'm adding to this equation equation, the mindset of mm -hmm. saying, if people are drawn to high, be part of a high trust team, a high trust culture, if trust inspires people, and I will say this, to be trusted is the most inspiring form of human motivation. Mm. It brings out the very best mm -hmm. in all of us. Why not model that in the interviewing process as well? And, and um, extend trust to our candidates. Again, that doesn't mean a blind trust. It's, it's always a smart trust around expectations and accountability, but you model trustworthiness and trusting. I would say this, that in terms of bias, perhaps our most powerful unconscious bias is around who we decide to extend trust to, or maybe we don't even consciously decide who we extend trust to. And the more trusting we can be as a starting point until proven otherwise, um, maybe we open up possibilities that might not have emerged if we start from the premise of, I don't trust anyone until they prove to me that I can. That takes too long in our world today. Yeah. What about a better starting point of, I do trust. This is my starting point until you prove to me that I can't. And, and it's a better starting point because you'll go farther, faster at building the trust. Now, again, I'm not blindly saying just indiscriminately do it. You have to look at the situation, the risk. But I love this idea of modeling, not only trustworthiness, but trusting. I'm glad you brought up the I'm glad you brought up the risk. And, and there are a number of folks we've run into who are very concerned about uh, extending trust. They uh, don't don't want to trust the people who work in their same organizations, and they certainly don't want to trust people they don't know, the candidates, who are strangers. And right. so um, the the argument there being, you know, you let people take advantage of you if you trust indiscriminately. And so how how can we Put a finer point on that for people who feel uncomfortable about it? Yes. Um, great question, Nicole. I wrote an entire book on this called Smart Trust. And the whole, and the whole premise is it's not a one-size-fits-all. You use good judgment. And, and, um, and I acknowledge this. There is a risk in trusting people. And there's also a risk in not trusting people. See, we often don't think yeah, of that. Yeah. In many situations, not trusting is often the greater risk. 
And as a society, we've become very good at measuring the cost of trusting too much and being wrong. You're making a mistake because you gave someone too much trust. We're very good at measuring that cost. We're not very good at all at measuring the cost and the consequences of not trusting enough. Yeah, it's and the so opportunity cost, right? Opportunity like, cost, the possibility yeah. costs, the engagement yeah. costs, the commitment, the innovation, the creativity, all those costs. And, yeah. and so it's a balancing act. And it's not a one size fits all. It's smart trust. It's good judgment. And so I, I try to assess the situation. Who am I extending trust to, to do what? I'm trying to assess the risk involved. What could go wrong? What's the risk and the consequence of that? How likely? And then I try to assess the credibility of the person or the people involved. And a combination of kind of blending my heart, my propensity to trust with my head, my analysis leads me to a, a judgment of whether I can trust or not. All I'm suggesting is if you start with the heart and then balance it with the head, start with the propensity to trust, the openness, the willingness, and then balance it with the analysis of the situation, the risk, the credibility, you'll see possibilities you might not have seen otherwise. And so when, you, when you've hired your people, lead out with trust as, a, as the starting point because they're already part of your team. Trust them much more abundantly. As you're hiring people, you're going to be a little bit more deliberate and, and not, you're not trying to be taken advantage of. of. Of course, I understand that. I agree with that. So smart trust there might say, find the appropriate ways to demonstrate some level of trust you might extend that's not going to hurt, burn you. And yet see how people respond to it and, 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 and um, reciprocate it and start to build trust right then and there in the process, but not in a radical way that could sink the firm, but in a smart way. And what that looks like is going to be different for everybody, but lead out in extending trust to people in appropriate ways for that work for you. And you'll find you'll just generate this reciprocity of trust and you'll bring out the best in people. And you'll get better people. They'll be drawn to your team that, that are going to really succeed in our world today. So that's the idea. It's not a one size fits all. You've said it, Nicole, it's, and you be, it's good judgment. But I'm trying to give voice to the, 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 the propensity to trust, to say, let's increase our propensity to trust. Our bias that maybe we're not aware of that we often maybe don't lead out and trusting people, try to become more aware and deliberate and intentional about extending trust to people in, in smart ways. And you watch the payoff from it. It can be enormous. Well, I thank you for trusting us with your voice. This was really, uh, it was really just eye-opening. Uh, you know, it's it just, again, you know, I, I love to connect the dots between a lot of things that are going on, right? And, and it just adds a whole new layer to the work that we're doing to, to see it through your eyes because you do this day in and day out. And so thank you um, for being here with us today, Stephen. This was incredible. You're, you're welcome, UB. Nicole, I admire what you're doing. Love the name of this, A Higher Future, the wordplay there. You're exactly right. You hire right, we will create a higher future. We will go farther. And, and, um, and I think that higher future with the H-I-G-H-E-R, that higher future that comes about from our hires, H-I-R-E-S, 
Well, if we, we hire people that are going to thrive in this new world of work where trust is the currency, it's the name of the game, that will lead us to the higher GH um, contributions and meaning and purpose that is out there and, the, and, and how we can be collaborative and innovative. So I, I view it as the two epic imperatives of our time today in this new world is to build a great culture so that you win the war for talent and that you collaborate and innovate so you stay relevant in a changing world. So the first is you win in the workplace. The second is you win in the marketplace. And it's hard to win in the marketplace if you haven't won in the workplace. That's why hiring comes sure. first and hiring and developing and, 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 um, and the like. So if you can model not only trustworthiness, but trusting in the hiring process, I think you'll be getting the, the right candidates in that are going to help take your organization to the next level, the next higher level of contribution and making a difference. So what you're doing, uh, Nicole UB is tremendous and I wish you every continued success. And I would say to our, our um, listeners and viewers, um, the idea of uh, adding trust to the equation in this hiring process, if this is the new currency of our world of work today, then let's how, how is the appropriate way that we can model it and then practice it in the hiring process? Perfect mic drop. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, audience, for continuing to tune in. Uh, we'll, we'll be back with some, um, some more great stories and, and guests in, in the future. But again, thank you, Stephen. And uh, check us out on A Higher Future. You can find us on our website. Um, yeah, have a great day. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone.